The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. If you'll turn to the book of Mark, the sixth chapter, uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 45. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go, the, go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him, and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Now, in our exploration of the book of Mark, we've asked the question about what happens when Jesus is sleeping in the boat. You know, we've seen what happens when he's asleep in the hinder part of the ship. And we've answered that question. What happens when Jesus is asleep? Well, the answer is he's neither sleeping nor slumbering, and he's always there and able and, and prepared to take over when you quit trying to take it over. <laughs> when you quit trying to take it over and you turn it over, that's when the results come that, that we need. The Lord was able to handle it even when he was asleep in the ship. Then we've seen what happens when Jesus gets there too late. He, 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 he missed the boat, right? He, he, he waited too long. He got distracted by a woman with an issue of blood. And so when he got to Jairus' home, it was too late. The child had died, and, 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 and all the people there uh, affirmed to Jairus and all those around, it's too late, don't trouble him anymore, she's died, and even laughed him to scorn when he made the statement to them, she's just asleep, because they knew better, you know, they knew better, the circumstances were such that it was clear to them that Jesus got there too late, and of course we learned that Jesus is never too late. He's always right on time. And he's able to handle the circumstance no matter what it looks to you, no matter how it appears to us, he's able to handle it and he is right on time. Well, this morning I want us to ask the question, what happens when Jesus isn't there? In this case, he's not asleep on the ship. He's not walking on the land headed somewhere he's just not there you'll notice that when the disciples got into the boat he sent them away and he departed to a mountain to pray and 
It says, when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. So what, what happens when Jesus isn't there? Well, bear with me, and hopefully we'll answer this question. One of the most important things about this whole episode here, well, a couple of really important things. First of all, you need to understand, as we've seen in the past, the last time we encountered the disciples on, on a ship in the midst of the sea and a great storm arose, they are right in the center of God's will. They didn't take this on themselves and say, oh, we're going to just go over here. I don't care. I don't know what he's doing up there. Pray. We're going to go over here. No, we're told that he constrained them. That is verse 45. He constrained them to go. He didn't just suggest it. He compelled them to go. It's almost as if he forced them to get into the ship. You know, like I said, remember now, too, last time in chapter 4, when we saw the disciples in a ship and, and the Savior asleep in the hinder part of the ship, he had told them then, he said, let us pass over to the other side. You know, we, we made the point back then. He didn't say, let us go out into the middle of the, of the lake and drown in a storm. That's not what he said. <laughs> he didn't say every man for himself. He said, let us, together, us, pass over to the other side. They ought to have remembered that. Jesus was on the ship. He was there with them. All they had to do was go talk to him. In fact, had they trusted him like they should, they could have laid down beside him and napped just like he did with comfort and calm and peace. Now notice this time he didn't, he didn't get on the ship with them. He didn't make any statement that we're told, let us go over to the other side. It's, it's almost like... <clears throat> He's graduating them up to a different level. You know, Paul makes this statement in uh, the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. He says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I thought as a child, I understood as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, what is he talking about there? Well, well one of the primary f points of that, I believe, is that uh, we should be growing as Christians. Uh, there was a time in my Christian walk when the Lord just about had to take a two-by-four and hit me upside the head to get my attention and, and to, to stop me in my tracks. You know, there are people, and I'm, you may have had this experience, there are people still, there are children of God out there in the world today that I believe occasionally the Lord demonstrates his power to them in a very manifest way because they're not grounded in the word of God. They're not built up in the faith like they should be. You know, sometimes the Lord is merciful that way. I don't believe in signs. I don't believe in seeking signs. But sometimes the Lord gives us a manifest uh, demonstration of his presence in our lives. And, and it, most often it, it's occurred in my life when I was much younger and much less mature in the faith. But you know, to whom much is given shall much be required. In other words, the more you know about Jesus from the Word of God, the less He ought to have to demonstrate to you how faithful He is. 
The more you understand about the Word, what the Word of God says about the faithfulness of Christ, the less you ought to have to depend on some kind of demonstration out there, some, of, of some natural event, of some kind of uh, a, a manifest sign almost that the Lord is there. You ought to be able to rely upon what He said and upon your experience in your daily walk with Him. It's almost as if that's what He's doing here. You know, they've already been through one storm, and everything was okay. So this time he says, he didn't give them the details. He said, just get in the boat and go. He didn't say, let us do anything. In fact, there was no us. He was going up into a mountain to pray. The disciples were following Jesus' command in doing this, and that's a key point. They were right in the middle of the will of God. And, and, and I want you to remember that, child of God, that when the storms of life arise in your life, that doesn't always mean that you're not in the will of God. That doesn't always mean that you're doing something wrong. Now, how you deal with a storm may demonstrate whether your faith is strong or whether it's not, and it does here for these disciples. But they were right in the middle of the will of God. They were not being chastened by Him but by, for what they were doing. But notice that the disciples were failing at Jesus' command. They may have been following His command, but they were failing at it. They were failing. They weren't even close to the goal. Now, now you've got to know a little bit of something about the Sea of Galilee to fully appreciate this, this story, this account here of the, uh, of, the, of the disciples in the storm. The Sea of Galilee is, is more long and narrow than wide okay it's seven and a half miles about at its widest at its narrowest it's it's um it's about four miles wide and it's only 12 and a half miles long and at the point where it appears that they were it was probably around five miles from one side to the other now, notice that it says they were in the fourth watch of the night. And I don't want to get too down into the weeds on this, but the bottom line is the, the fourth watch was from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. <clears throat> and in verse, um, uh, in, let, let me also say this uh, before we go any farther. In John chapter 6 and in Matthew chapter 14, we read about this same account. And, and each one gives us just a little more detail or a little different detail that, that, that Mark didn't give. So we're going to kind of jump around a little bit uh, to, to there. So, so looking, looking over in, in, um, uh, in Matthew chapter 14, uh, this is Matthew's uh, description of the time that, that we were in here. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse, uh, uh, verse 15. When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away. So it was evening when the, when the miracle of the loaves and the fishes occurred. Uh, the, uh, I think the way Mark puts it is when the day was far spent. Uh, that, that's when the, the miracle of the loaves uh, and the fishes occur. And then he says in verse 45, Straightway, immediately after that, Immediately after the feeding of the 5,000, he got them in the boat and he said, y'all go. So it was the evening of that, that day before when they got into the boat. 
But now it's three or four or five, maybe six o'clock in the morning. They've been rowing possibly as much as, as six or maybe even nine hours. They've been out here, and it's only five miles across. Over in John, and you don't have to turn there, but just make a note that in John chapter 6, this same account is there. And in verse 19, John tells us they had rowed 25 or 30 furlongs. That's about two or three miles. So, so now as we set this up, think about it. When, they, when Jesus told them to get in the boat and go over to the, to the other side to Bethsaida, these experienced boaters and fishermen probably said, ah, no problem. We got this. We'll certainly do that, Lord. We're, we're good. It's only five miles. Uh, we should be there in two or three hours. It shouldn't take us that long. But six or eight hours later, after having rowed all night, they're only two or three miles out there. And, and by the way, if you'll notice, if it's five miles long and you're about two to three miles out there, that means you're right in the middle of the sea. You're right in the middle of the sea. You're not near any land. You're right in the middle. You're as far from one shore as you are from the other and all the circumstances were against them notice what verse 48 says the wind was contrary unto them <laughs> have you ever felt that the all the circumstances of your life are contrary to you i'll tell you beloved i have felt that it seems to me like sometimes if it's not one thing it's another and, it also, and when one thing starts, it's like a snowball. It starts building and it starts rolling and one thing uh, lands on top of the other. And the next thing you know, it looks like all the winds of this world are contrary unto me. And notice their strength was failing them. In verse 48 again, it says, they were toiling and rowing. That word literally means to be tormented. They, they weren't just out there trying a little bit. They were... They were, they were giving it all they had. They were laying it all on the line. And they were not coming up victorious. They were losing this battle. And I'll tell you, based on John's statement over in John chapter 6, uh, I, I think they were getting frustrated. I, I know they were getting frustrated. Uh, and, and, and not just with the circumstances they, that they had there with them. Frustration was overtaking them. And John says this about it in John chapter 6 and verse uh, 17. Um, it, the last part of that verse, It was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. Have you ever been there? Maybe, I, you, don't, I don't, you don't have to raise your hand. I'm not asking for that. I, I don't even want to admit it, but I have to because I'm your preacher. I'm the one that has to admit everything. Why don't y'all come up and tell me after it's over? When I start confessing, just say, hey, I get it. I've been in it too. Because you don't have to tell everybody else. But, uh, but, uh, but I'm going to confess to you. There have been times I've certainly been frustrated with the circumstances. But I've been frustrated with the Lord. I, 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 I'm so, what I love about reading about these disciples reading about these great men of faith is that I identify with their failings uh, in so many ways. God didn't just tell us about the good things that Peter did 
He told us about the bad things. He didn't just tell us how great a king David was. He let us see how human he was and how, how, how many failings and weaknesses he had. And that gives me hope. I'm not proud to be a weak, failing human. I'm not, I, I, I hate that. It bothers me. But at least with the Apostle Paul, I can say that which I would, I do not. That which I would not, that I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, I can identify with that. I can't identify with St. Paul. I can't identify with the Paul who was such a great man and never did anything wrong. I can identify with Paul the wretch, the chiefest of sinners. I get that. And it gives me hope that maybe I can serve the Lord in the way Paul served him. Here we see that the disciples said, uh, John even himself wrote, he said that, it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. I have been there, beloved, where I said, Lord, where are you? I needed you yesterday and you're not here. Sometimes in our flesh, we become frustrated with the Lord. Martha, talk to her when you get to heaven. In John, the 11th chapter, as they had sent word to Jesus, they said, our brother's sick. The one whom you love is sick. We know you love him, Lord. We know you want to help him, Lord. You've told us you love him. You've told us you want to help him. Please come help him. <clears throat> and he didn't get there until four days after he died. You know what Martha said to him? Lord, if thou hadst been here, our brother hadn't died. Now, now I'm not justifying Martha, okay? She was wrong, and you're wrong, and I'm wrong when we question the Lord, when we're frustrated and say things like that, like, Lord, where were you? But I'm, I'm thankful to see that my lot is no different than the lot of all the others who are children of God. There have been times when my view of my circumstances blinded me to the fact of the most important thing in this whole account right here, and that is this. In verse 47 of Mark chapter 6, it says, When even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he, referring to Jesus, alone on the land. But now listen to verse 48. And he, that is Jesus, saw them toiling in rowing beloved when they were in the midst of their terrible circumstances the great storm of their life was upon them they felt themselves to be alone darkness had come and the savior had not yet in the midst of the darkness in the midst of the storm he saw through the darkness and the thunderclouds that were afflicting them in this life he saw through the tossing seas it was dark it was three in the morning it was not it, the dawn had not broken Yet and yet Jesus saw them toiling and rowing. Beloved, if you don't get anything else out of this message this morning, I want you to understand that in the midst of whatever storm you are facing in life, it may seem like you're alone and there may be no other person out there to help you, but the Lord Jesus Christ sees you where you are. He saw them. Toiling and rowing. I'm so thankful that we don't have a high priest that cannot be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. But Hebrews <clears throat> chapter 4 tells us that he was 
in all points, tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You know, I can't always empathize with you. Sometimes I can. Before January 1st of this year, I could sympathize with Sherry, who had lost her father, but I couldn't really empathize because I I couldn't identify because it hadn't happened to me yet. I can now. I can now. I can sympathize with you, but I can't always empathize or identify. But you know what? The Savior can empathize and he can identify with every single struggle you've ever had in your life. You know why? Because he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus saw them toiling and rowing. And he didn't just see them. I love this. You know, the ancient Greeks had this pantheon of gods and goddesses that, would, that lived up on Mount Olympus and looked down. And sometimes they laughed at the troubles that humans faced. Sometimes they caused the troubles that humans faced. But our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, let me just say to you, he sits higher than any Zeus ever sat. He sits higher than any Apollo ever dreamed to be. He sits high up in the heaven of the heavens at the right hand of his Father. And and yet, not only did he see them in the storm, he came to them in the storm. What happens when Jesus isn't there? When you don't feel his manifest presence, when when he's not asleep in your ship, what happens when he's not there? Beloved, the answer is he is always there. He is always seeing you and he will come to you in a manifest way. He came to them in the storm. Notice first in verse 46, he was already praying for them. In verse 46, he departed into a mountain to pray. Where is he today? Beloved, we're told that he is our intercessor. According to Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 31 and 32, you can turn there and read it sometime. Peter, he looked at Peter and he said, Peter, Satan hath desired thee to sift thee like wheat, but I have prayed for thee. (laughs) He's already interceded for him. In, In Romans, the eighth chapter, that precious Uh, chapter that tells us about the love of Christ in chapter 8 in verse uh, 33 it says who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect it is God that justifies who is he that condemneth it is Christ that died yea rather that is risen again who is even at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us He was not on a mountain in this world somewhere praying for us today, beloved. Today, He is at the right hand of the Father on high, making constant intercession for us. No matter what the storm is that you face, no matter what the tumult in your life, no matter what the disappointment, no matter what the failure in your life, He is interceding for you, beloved. He not only sees you, He intercedes for you. Praise God. You know, that's why it's so important that we understand the salvation that is found only in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 
Do you think that someone he loved before the foundation of the world and whom he purposed to come die for, who he laid down his life on Calvary for, that he will abandon them just because some great storm came up in their lives? Beloved, praise God. He loved you before the foundation of the world. And so he sees you in your daily walk. And he intercedes for you. You know, I'm going to pray for you if I don't forget it. <laughs> I say that in jest, but it's a sad fact. I, t- I think I mentioned this not too long ago. Have you ever tried to pray and you feel like you're, you feel like you're just schizophrenic or something? I mean, I start out praying and I'm thinking about people on the prayer list and I'm praying. And next thing you know, I'm planning my week. You ever been there? Yes. I'm praying, Lord, be with John Morgan, be with Meredith. Let's see, i got to go to the doctor Monday. Let's see, how am I going to make that? You know, I'm, I'm just, it's like I'm all over the place. And then I fall asleep. <laughs> I'm going to pray for you if I don't forget, or if I don't get distracted, or if I don't fall asleep, or if somebody doesn't come up and distract me from it, or take me away from it. But beloved, Jesus Christ will intercede every single time. He doesn't forget. He doesn't get distracted. He doesn't get sleepy. (laughs) Jesus was praying for him in the storm. There are times when all I can do for you is pray. Now, now don't get me wrong. I say that, and we we often say that, and we shouldn't, because prayer is, is one of the most important things we can do for one another. But, but, but you understand there are times when I've, I can remember a time uh, uh, several years ago when I was, I was out of town. I was actually, I think I was preaching in California and someone uh, that I had grown up knowing had passed away and, and they had called me to see if I could do, do her funeral. And, and I was committed to this. I couldn't get home in time for the funeral anyway. And, um, you know, I said, you know, I, all I can do is pray for you. And they, they understood it wasn't a problem. But, uh, uh, but, but, you see, I couldn't get there. I couldn't get there and do what they wanted. If I'd been there in the mountain with Jesus where he was praying on this occasion, I'd have had to just keep praying. There's nothing else I could do. I couldn't get there. They're three miles or so out into the ocean, out into the Sea of Galilee. But I want you to notice what the Lord Jesus Christ was able to do. Not only only was he interceding for them, not only did he see them, in verse 48, toiling and rowing, about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh to them. He cometh to them. So did he go get in a boat and he rowed out there? That's about all. I might have tried that. Let's get get in a boat. No, no. He was able to come to them through the storm. He was praying for them in the storm, but he was able to to come to them through the storm, walking upon the sea. (laughs) He was able to, uh, he had the power to go through the storm. You know, he noticed he didn't calm the storm and then walk out there. He walked in the midst of that storm on top of those waves to where they were. Beloved, he has grace to help in time of need. 
Don't ever neglect to pray to Him and to come boldly before the throne of grace saying to yourself, well, there's nothing the Lord can do. He's not, he can't help me in this. No, beloved, He is always able, even if He has to walk on the water to get there. He came to them. He came to them on the very thing they were afraid of. Think about that. What's their problem? What's the big deal about the storm? It's no big deal if you're sitting in a storm shelter. You know, I don't, I'm not afraid of a tornado if I'm, in the, if I'm under the ground in a storm shelter. I mean, I hate what it may do, but I'm not fearful for my life. They weren't afraid of the storm just because it was a storm. They were afraid of the storm because it might cause them to drown. What were they afraid of? The sea. They were afraid of the, the boisterous seas, the, the raging waves, the, 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 the thunder and the lightning and all that that was going to cause them to drown. And the very thing that they were afraid of, the sea, he used it as a stepping stone to get right to where they were. And you notice something else about what he did. He not only was praying for them in the storm, he not only came to them through the storm, but he was able to calm them in spite of the storm. Notice, notice, verse 50. Immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I be not afraid. Now I want you to notice that he said this before he calmed the storm. He calmed them before he calmed the seas. I've often been in the situation where <clears throat> I was so distraught that I felt like I could have no peace until the winds and the waves of whatever storm I was facing had calmed. But I want you to know something about the Lord. Jesus Christ can calm you in the midst of the storm and in spite of the storm. You don't have to have the winds to cease in order for the peace that passeth understanding to come upon you. In fact, that's the whole point of it being called the peace that passeth understanding. You know, I could understand the peace that comes after the, the storm is calm. I can't understand the peace that comes in the midst of the storm because it passes understanding. It means it surpasses your circumstances. Whatever your circumstances are, this peace is, is greater than your circumstances. This, the, the world, the horizontal view that you have of all the troubles that are afflicting you and the trials that are upon you and the storm that's raging around you uh, is, 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 is something that will blind you sometimes to the understanding that the peace of God passes and surpasses all of those circumstances. You know what that means? That means you can have peace at the hospital. You can have peace at the funeral home. You know that? You can have peace when there's no hope from earthly circumstances. You know why? Because peace is not the absence of problems. Peace is the presence of Jesus. Lord, I need healing. Lord, I need I need you to fix this financial 
issue. I need you to fix my marital problem. Lord, I need, no, what you need is the presence of Jesus. Because the sad truth of the world that we live in is that all these problems don't necessarily go away. The storms of life don't necessarily subside. The cancer doesn't always get healed. The marriage doesn't always get saved. The child doesn't always repent. The reconciliation doesn't always come. But you know what always does come? The peace of the presence of Jesus. Notice, notice what he said. He said, be of good cheer, have joy. Why? It is I. Now, now I'm going I'm to take us into a little Greek here for a minute. Not because there's anything wrong with this King James translation, but because we can get a little more insight even to this phrase by looking at what the Greek phrase says. The Greek phrase is a little phrase, two words, ego imi. Ego imi. Now, it's properly translated here as it is I. There's nothing wrong with that. But you could just as properly translate it like this. I am. When the Lord says I am, it's that same phrase. Ego imi. I am. You know, he was saying something specific to them. He wasn't just going out there and say, hey man, calm down, I'm here. He didn't say that. I mean, me being there, you know, if I'd driven up and say, hey, I'm here, but if, you know, you might still drown <laughs> if I got there. But he said, he's reminding these, these Jewish disciples, particularly here, that there is something special about me that doesn't apply to any other person on the face of the earth, it hasn't, has never applied to any other prophet that's ever been here. It will never apply to any preacher or any other person that you'll ever meet. I am. What is that talking about? That's the name of God. That's what Moses was told to tell those children of Israel over there when they went to, uh, when, they, when he went over there to deliver them from the bondage that they were in. He said, whom shall I say sent me? He said, you tell them that I am sent you. And they'll know who that is. You know, I'm glad he's not I was. He was, certainly. He's always been. I'm glad he's not the great I will be. He certainly will be tomorrow and from every day of your life. He will be there. But I don't need him tomorrow. And to yesterday's already passed. I had him then. I need him now. He's the great I am. That means whatever I need. That's what he is. He's got every need covered, every problem of life. Hey, I need a storm to be calmed. I am the, the ruler of the winds and the waves. I need healing to come. I am the great physician. I need comfort. I am the God of all comfort. Whatever it is that you and I need, that's what He is. Now, I'm not talking about some malleable God that, that we can make what we want. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about our real needs as His children. He is there every single minute of every single day. I am. And that's what He told them. I am. <laughs> he told, or Malachi told us about the Lord in chapter 3, in verse 6. He says, for I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob, 
are not consumed. You know, it's important that he's the great I am. Because if he weren't, then we'd have no hope. But because he is, we can be of good cheer. That's a positive commandment. Have joy. And we can be not afraid. That's a negative commandment. You do need to be of good cheer. You do not need to be afraid. Because, as I've already said, peace is the presence of the great I am. It's not the absence of all the problems of your life. I'm sorry to tell you, your problems are going to continue to exist till the day the Lord calls you home or he comes back in the clouds. But he is the great I am and is able to be here with us. Let me wrap this up. We're not going to turn there, but you, you, you might want to go to Matthew chapter 14 <clears throat> and read his account of this same, this same episode. Because he reports just a little bit more to the story. In Matthew, that's the place we read about Peter, who is in the boat and says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you. And, and of course, you know the story. He gets out. And Peter is fine when he had his eyes on Jesus. He's walking on top of the water. You know, the world's the only two options the world will ever give you is you can sink or swim. That's all you got. But, but did you know that, that if you'll keep your eyes off your circumstances and focus them upon Jesus, you can walk on top of the water with him? And, and he, Peter here was fine as long as he had his eyes on Jesus. But when he took them off of Jesus and focused on his circumstances, he nearly drowned. <laughs> Beloved, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus no matter what. There's no circumstance in life that should distract us from the Savior, the great I Am. So, what happens when Jesus isn't there? When he was asleep in the boat, they learned that it didn't matter. That he was still in control. He was still able to deliver. When he gets there too late, Jairus learned that Jesus is never too late. When he isn't there, beloved, when he isn't there, he sees you. He will come to you. Even if he has to use the very thing that you're afraid of, he'll come to you. And in truth, he's never not there. He's always been there. You may not see him, but he sees you. And John tells us in his account that, that when he got on the boat with them, it says immediately they were at the land. <laughs> Let's just turn there for a second and look at that. John chapter 6. Look at verse 21. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. How quickly the situation changed when Jesus was on the boat. <laughs> How quickly the situation changed when they recognized that Jesus was all they needed. I want to tell you, beloved, I'm not talking about unregenerate dead alien sinners doing something 
to, to establish a relationship with Jesus. But I'm talking to born-again children of God who already have a relationship with Jesus by birth, by the new birth. When we welcome Jesus, when we recognize his power and authority and his presence and the need that we have for him, beloved, things will immediately improve in your situation. Now, that doesn't mean the, the storm is going to subside. You know, sometimes the Lord calms the storms. But even when he doesn't calm the storm, he will always climb into your little vessel, speak peace to you through the power of the great I Am, and ride out the storm with you. Oh, how important it is that we remember the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll leave you with this. Verse 52 back in Mark 6 kind of explains the whole problem of the disciples. They considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. You know, sometimes we all need to learn the lesson of the loaves. In a place where they thought there was no help, there was no way they could provide for the needs of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes, Jesus was able to handle it. And they forgot that when they got on this ship. They forgot the, five, the 12 baskets that they took up when they got on this ship. They forgot the power that Jesus had, and therefore they were so fearful. But, beloved, if we can remember the power of the thrice holy God manifest in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we can know that, that no matter what the storms of life bring us, he will be with us. He will see us. He intercedes for us, and he will come to us, walking on the water if he has to, walking through the storm if need be, and he will say to you, I am, and speak peace like you have never known. Praise God for his power and the peace that passeth understanding. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.